What's good, anybody out there? This is your friendly Crimson Stain, and welcome to the Grave Wax Podcast. It's episode 18, and tonight, I think instead of a movie, we're going to be covering an episode from the original Twilight Zone. Now, this all started because uh, recently I did myself a huge service, and I went ahead and bought the complete Blu-ray set. It had dropped down to about $41, and I thought, I ain't going to get no better deal than that. That's exactly what I thought. And sure enough, uh, the set arrives, and it's great. It has uh, every episode. They look and sound great. Very good special features with commentaries and, and so forth. And it even has some of the original bumpers and advertisements. It's all around just a great deal. So I uh, definitely recommend picking this up. You'll have days of entertainment and, uh, you know, it's over 150 episodes. There are a few clunkers in the mix, but uh, for the most part, it's a really great, uh, solid series, of course, as we all remember. Um, it was a very uncanny, weird show, but also very philosophical in, in a number of ways, in a number of episodes. So I think I picked a really good one to cover. We're going to be doing The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. And this one definitely has some philosophical underpinnings to it, which I think we'll discuss. And I think most people get this episode wrong. Uh, perhaps even Rod Serling missed the message here, which, uh, you know, leave it to me. I will once again have to uncover the truth, obscure to everyone else. That's just my burden, and I'm glad to do it. So I think with that submitted for your approval, we're going to be covering The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. All right, we're starting on the 300 block of Maple Street. The kids are out there playing, there's guys working on their cars, a man selling ice cream. Uh, this was recorded on the MGM backlot. It's incredibly realistic. I thought this was a real neighborhood they rented out uh, back in the day, but it turns out it was the, it's the MGM backlot. Uh, and so a few seconds in, an quote-unquote asteroid flies over. Uh, that's what the guy washing his car says. Uh, meanwhile, this asteroid has flashing lights and uh, flying saucer sounds. So, you know, I guess we're just trying to make things, uh, we're trying to rationalize everything immediately. Uh, and this guy's named Steve, who's washing his car. His wife's going to come out, and she don't like this one bit. No one does. And it's it's soon discovered right after that that uh, the power has has shut off. There's a guy trying to screw in a light bulb. Um, you know, how many how many people on Maple Street does it take to screw in a light bulb? Only one, but there's no power. That's my joke. So, um, the, the phone doesn't even work either. And this guy, he's got a portable drill. It doesn't work. Nothing is working. Radios don't work. Portable radios don't work. So this is more than just a power outage. And the handyman, who's obviously a very practical person, says he's going to go check on Floral Street and see what's going on over there, how far this uh, strange phenomenon is going. He's a very no-nonsense guy, so he's just off and out. Uh, I don't even know if anyone even heard what he said. And then uh, someone suggests that this is, you know, some sort of electrical storm could have done this. And there's this loudmouth guy named Charlie, and he shits over this idea instantly. He's wearing this uh, weird Hawaiian shirt with, like, Hollywood landmarks on it. It's a very interesting uh, hipster look for uh, this guy. Uh, everyone else, of course, looks like uh, 50s respectability, including this guy Steve. He's saying, uh, you know, let's go downtown to the police station and, and see uh, what the authorities think about this. It's a very 50s thing to do. Um, 
But so he, he jumps in his station wagon, which is a very 50s thing to have, and it won't start. Of course, nothing is starting. So uh, the loudmouth Charlie guy and Steve say, well, we'll just walk down there. Save us uh, some gas. And they're starting off on their long journey. But that's when uh, this local kid, Tommy, stops them. He says that, don't do that. They don't want you to go. And, uh, and he, he emphasizes the word they and them about uh, this mysterious uh, group that doesn't want you to go and who shut off the power. And you've got to wonder, if, is this guy uh, Nick Fuentes? I don't know. But uh, he, he definitely has that kind of uh, energy to him. And he goes on, he says that uh, aliens have infiltrated uh, our society. They look like humans, but, uh, you know, something's about to happen. And, uh, you know, they are aliens slash monsters. And this mere suggestion from this kid who has, who has like a high-pitched voice uh, causes the entire group uh, uh, who's gathered uh, on the street to just eye each other very suspiciously. They've obviously been primed. Uh, for this type of uh, manifestation of evil. And frankly, I think they're just ready to settle some old scores through this uh, controversy. But we'll see how this develops. Now, meanwhile, there's another neighbor. His name's Les, and he's over across the street, and he's trying out his car. It won't start. So he gets out of it. It takes a few steps, and miraculously, it starts up. And people instantly start to suspect him. Uh, you know, it's a very weird, inconclusive thing, um, but someone mentions, you know, he didn't come out to look at the thing that flew over that only lasted a second. He didn't come out to check that out. That's very suspicious. So people start instantly start uh, gossiping about him out loud and they start uh, walking over. Steve's going to try to be the voice of reason, but he's not that good at it. And, uh, so the crowd gathers around this guy, Les, who, by the way, this is, um, the actor Barry Atwater. He was in Kolchak, the Night Stalker. That's why you've you probably seen him. Uh, let's go over to some of the other people. Claude Aikens is Steve, the voice of reason. He was in Rio Bravo and Battle for the Planet of the Apes as Aldo. And, of course, Loudmouth Charlie, you'll recognize him. That's Jack Weston. He was Carlino in, can't, in uh, I was going to say, Can't Hardly Wait. No, it's Wait Until Dark. That would be an amazing mashup. Uh, and he was also in that movie Rad, the BMX movie. So... Just a fine pedigree of actors we've got here, which is what the Twilight Zone uh, was known for. So, and of course, this is one of the reasons this episode works is because, um, you know, the acting is so good and uh, has that gravity to it. Um, it's kind of an absurd uh, escalation of things quickly. You only got 25 minutes to get the story underway. So I understand having to uh, make things uh, move at a rapid pace, but you really got to have good actors to make people believe that the uh, people are getting so paranoid so quickly. And uh, it's really happening here because Les is scared of the people. The people are scared of him. His car is like shutting on and off. It's making things, pe making people very uncomfortable. And as they bicker back and forth, uh, this causes, you know, tensions to be raised. And this one lady, she's going to go ahead and say, you know, I've seen Les out late at night in his yard and he was just staring at the sky now that's very suspicious in light of the fact of um you know there's aliens talk of aliens invasions happening and uh less is going to say it's just insomnia but i'm going to tell you right now i've had insomnia a lot 
I've never done that. I've never known anyone who went out and looked at the sky. So it's a, I guess it's a good excuse to come up with on the fly, Mr. Alien, but uh, it actually doesn't seem that convincing, and he's doing himself no service by uh, using that. Uh, but he's going he's gonna, to you know, kind of walk towards them, and, and they're going to back away like he's got the, the plague, some sort of uh, meteorite plague. And uh, he, he starts doing, this is something I noticed on the Twilight Zone, uh, watching episodes back to back, is that everyone has absolutely no chill. Once they, once they get into the, some Twilight Zone situation, they just start yelling and completely losing their cool. You know, what are, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, they're, they're just very angry at uh, being subjected to this uh, uncanny weirdness with a moral lesson attached. And I think uh, Rod Serling is going to be speaking through the mouthpiece of this Les character when he says, you know, you're starting something here that's going to get out of control, that's a nightmare. And uh, I think that's a part of the philosophical point uh, Rod Serling's trying to make. We'll see. So there's a commercial break, and when we come back, it's night. And everyone's lighting candles, and they're standing outside of Les's house. Now, he's on the porch trying to, you know keep an eye on this uh, lynch mob that's potentially forming. It's a very loosely knit lynch mob. They're just kind of like, you know, gathered out there in small groups, not really connected. There's no um, murderous intent. Charlie's the most aggressive. He's like the next door neighbor. He's sitting on a, like a stool out there. um, And he's really giving him the stink eye the whole time just by himself. His wife comes out and gives him a Coca-Cola and uh, it does not add any like peaceful, um, you know, make the world want to smile kind of energy to him. So apparently that was Coca-Cola marketing uh, is all a lie. It doesn't make you not want to kill your neighbor for being an uh, alien. And uh, meanwhile, Charlie's wife comes out and brings him a drink. They bring him, she brings him milk, which again, that is highly suspicious. That's the worst thing to drink in this high stress situation. Just imagine the upset stomach and gas you're going to have worrying about if your house is about to be destroyed and you've got this milk sluicing through your guts. It's not a great scene. It's a subtle hint that perhaps Les is, in fact, an autistic monster of some sort. But the thing I will say about these ladies bringing their their husbands' uh, drinks is, you know, they're standing by their men no matter what decision they make. So I kind of like that. Very trad. And so Steve, again, he's going to try to be the goody two-shoes here. He's going to walk up to Les and... uh, you know, try to calm things down, try to, you know, have a, have a, uh, you know, have some peace talks. And, uh, Charlie over there, he is not pleased with this development. He says, you know, Steve, you ought to watch who you're seen talking to. You're not above suspicion. And so they start arguing. It's, you know, arguments just fuels the fire. It doesn't calm anything down. Steve should have just kept his mouth shut and not talked to Les. Let's just see if everything works out by itself, basically. And uh, if it doesn't, you know, at least you're not implicated. That's the way to do things, especially at this time when the suburbs were taking over and alienation was replacing, you know, the traditional neighborhood, dare I say, ethnic neighborhood that uh, kept our nation uh, great for so long. But um, we're going to see that the suburbs really don't have that much solidarity left. Because the, one of the neighbors, Don, he hasn't said much so far, but he's going to pipe in now saying that he heard from Steve's wife that Steve was working on a radio in his basement. And, of course, uh, if you're an alien creating some sort of uh, giant uh, you know, communication apparatus for your planned alien invasion, your wife's definitely going to tell 
uh, everybody about it. And uh, in fact, that's kind of what Steve says when they start questioning him about it. He sarcastically monster fed posts, which you should not do, even if you think it's totally apparent that you're just joking and being sarcastic. Uh, people will use that against you in any sort of, of law proceedings that may follow from uh, such an incident. So just play it straight. Don't say anything. And if you have to say anything, deny it and quickly leave the area, uh, which is what Steve does not do. He starts talking about, oh, it's my monster radio to talk to aliens about taking over your stupid, crappy, uh, you know, two bedroom house. Um in this uh, crappy neighborhood and Myra, his wife comes out and tries to like, okay, let's calm down. It's just a ham radio. She's trying to be the voice of reason. I like Myra a lot. Um, and you know what else? Myra is a sexy name and it doesn't get the attention it deserves. So she's basically trying to calm the fire saying, no, my husband, he's just a geek with his ham radio. And, uh, meanwhile, Steve is going to go ham on this crowd with another loud um, denunciation speech where he's going to try to take the moral high ground. He's saying, you know, you're all out to crucify someone, but all you're going to do is eat each other alive. He's very forceful with this. Another classic rookie mistake of someone caught up in a mob uh, to try to, you know, out um, virtue someone. It's like, you know what, I'll, I'm going to make you all feel bad and I'm going to be the only one uh, superior to you all. And that's going to make you not want to kill me. It's a great plan, Steve. You should really be in charge here. Um, and actually, you know, for all my shit talking, it might have worked. It might have worked. He he did seem to be calming down the crowd, uh, making them come see some sense. But then the mood is shattered because someone starts approaching from the darkness. There he's, he's down on the other side of the block, but he's coming out of the mist in the dark. And uh, we can see it's the guy with the hammer. He's coming back from Floral Street. He certainly took his sweet time. But now he's back, but the crowd doesn't know. They just see this menacing shadow approaching towards him. And so they get scared. And uh, someone pulls out his shotgun. It was very handy, very close to hand uh, when the shotgun gets produced. And Steve takes it away, trying to, again, be the voice of reason. But then Charlie takes it away from him, which makes Steve look like a real bitch. And then Charlie aims and fires like within a second. He doesn't say halt. He doesn't say who goes there. He just opens fire like a true coward. His cowardice is only going to uh, grow from here. But uh, anyway, they they run over and they see that it's the handyman, Pete Van Horn. And, you know, I gotta I love to victim blame. And I got to say, why didn't Pete call out? Why didn't he say, hey, guys, uh, you know, he does none of that. He's a silent to the very end, just like a monster would be. So in a way, he's the author of his own demise, as surely as Pete is a co-author. So uh, they run over, they see it's him, and uh, of course, Charlie, he starts blubbering, and he just is totally pathetic. He's like, I didn't know, I, I couldn't have known. Well, then you shouldn't have shot. But, uh, you know, that's that's the uh, paranoid mindset. And, um, you know, it's all about him. Oh, I didn't know, my life's over, I shot someone, you know. What a what an unlikable character, you might say, this guy is written as. And so people start looking at Charlie as he's blubbering. And I think the fact that he's all blubbering and carrying on helps, uh, you know, weigh the evidence towards this guy being a little mis uh, suspicious now. Because, hey, you know, what What might have Pete might have learned out on the outside that Charlie didn't want us to know, you know? 
some monster facts about Charlie, perhaps. You know, this is the, the logic of paranoia uh, at its best. So uh, what really seals the deal is Charlie's house lights come on. Everybody else's is still out, but Charlie's specifically comes on. And so that is... First of all, that's a very bad timing if you're a undercover alien, but uh, it's definitely a suspicious, uh, incriminating uh, thing to happen. So they start uh, chasing Charlie back to his house. They start picking up stones. Stones are all over this landscaped uh, back lot here, and they start throwing the stones, breaking windows. They break the light above uh, Charlie. The glass shatters down, cuts him. He's bleeding from his head, his big, fat, cowardly head. And so as they're about to uh, really uh, carry out the final sentence on this guy, he says, wait, 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 I know who the monster is. The monster's uh, Tommy, the little kid that was uh, talking about monsters earlier. It was him. And um, how did he know all about the monster's plan? Which is, you know, it's like, why would he tell about the monster's plan? It, you know, it's just, it's funny that when the Twilight Zone doesn't like a character, they really lay it on thick. It's like, he's not only going to, like, squeal on someone uh who's innocent he's gonna pick like a kid who hasn't even gone through puberty yet uh to blame so so charlie sucks basically and so the crowd starts turning on uh tommy and his mother but then all sorts of um lights start coming on random lights and random people's houses and the mob goes crazy it it stops being a lynch mob and it starts starts just being an uh anarchy it just starts being a, a real uh, whoop-de-doo. And there's stones, there's guns, people are shooting their guns. And uh, this goes on for quite a while. And then the camera's going to pull back all the way up this uh, hillside. We look down on this uh, chaotic suburban scene, which is a kind of interesting process shot from the 1950s uh, you know, camera special effects. And we're going to see, who are we going to see? It's revealed. There were aliens. They were, they're not necessarily monsters unless they're just disguised. They're just humanoid people uh, who are actually dressed up in costumes from Forbidden Planet. You can check that out. You can see it's the same costumes. And uh, there's two aliens. The senior alien says, understand the procedure now. We just stop their machines for a little while and watch. They'll pick the most dangerous enemy, and it's themselves. We'll just sit back and let them destroy themselves. And then they get in their uh, spaceship and take off, which, again, is from Forbidden Planet. And one thing you'll notice, uh, the other guy, the other alien, he straight up has a Bluetooth in his ear. I mean, it's pretty close. It's pretty funny looking. And so as the UFO takes off, we're going to be treated to Rod Serling's somewhat heavy-handed closing narration where he's going to talk about the tools of conquests are not just, you know, guns and bombs and explosions. It's, uh, it's paranoia and prejudice that can kill. And, you know, what an epic episode. I saw this. They didn't syndicate this as much as I thought. I think I, I've seen it only once when I was a kid, but I always remembered it. And uh, it was definitely the episode I was looking forward to revisiting while watching these uh, Blu-ray discs. And I wasn't disappointed. What a great episode. So let's talk about what this means and what people think it means. And of course, uh, there's that surface meaning that Rod Serling lays out very clearly and plainly that you shouldn't give in to fear and paranoia and come up with all these crazy conspiracy theories that you take out on your neighbors. And that's fine as far as it goes. Uh, but if you think that this is an episode that uh, is a, against conspiratorial thinking, 
well, you're just not that smart because the whole thing was a conspiracy. There were aliens uh, using devious means to subvert this uh, the street. So it does happen. Um, that's the whole crux of the episode. That's the reveal. So um, it is a, an vindication of conspiracy theory, theories. And I don't know anyone in the dissident politics uh, sphere or, you know, conspiracy theorists who say, you know what the problem is? There's just random people that are our neighbors that are the, the problem. And uh, it's actually, people people actually say, no, there's a plutocracy that is very well organized and likes to stay in the shadows and they like to manipulate things from without for their own personal gain. That's what people really think. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you throw in all kinds of uh crazy crap uh, to try to discredit this basic way of thinking but uh, that's basically what people say when they, they talk about these things that no one represents us our leaders aren't actually our leaders there's someone behind uh, all of this and they're manipulating things for their own benefit and of course to everyone else's detriment and we can argue go back and forth about who this plutocracy is although I wouldn't recommend it because uh, you might be right and there might be consequences from that so don't get too specific but obviously there's something going on very few people think uh you know oh everything's just going fine this is all just uh natural and spontaneous and the people that do are usually blue-pilled uh you know for their own benefit so no one comes after them or their patreon or whatever it is that they're they want to keep going and that's just the way it is as far as the storytelling goes from the episode I can't fault it too much. I mean, it is a bit contrived. Rod Serling writing this, he does rely on a few contrivances like, you know, Steve and Charlie never leave the, the street to go down to the, actually go down to the police station to figure out what's going on. And then Pete Van Horn never says, you know, hands up, don't shoot. He just stays silent, gets shot. So there are these little things that ensure that the characters never break out of their, you know, false assumption trap. That they've got going and he kind of leads them down this path but there's no reason that it actually had to go that way obviously to to wedge in his point and you know hammer it home make sure people get it of course you have to be kind of simplistic and and uh you know single-minded when you're trying to uh, talk to a mass audience because they're obviously full of idiots uh so i can't fault him there and you know the thing is, it's entertaining and it works, and you follow it along on its journey, like the best propaganda does. Um, so I'm not uh, shitting on Rod Serling or the Twilight Zone here, uh, but there. But if you're going to apply this to a wider, realistic situation, there's no reason to think that uh, things would actually have to go this way. People could be smart if only, if only you would listen to the smart voices out there that were trying to steer you in the right direction. Uh, that's what I say. And I'm recording this on May 31st in the afternoon, and uh, this is the 100-year anniversary so of the so-called uh, Tulsa race riots, which uh, is this uh, crazy media-fueled uh, hysteria over this uh, very misinterpreted event, uh, full of disinformation being pulled, put out there. And the entire way the social media goes, it just incentivizes the craziest, stupidest narratives put out there by the most credulous and naive fools. And of course, that's obviously put out there by organized people. The media, sure, you can just blankly call it the media, but there's definitely people uh, 
behind there even manipulating the media channels to make sure that the narrative goes this way, that people people have been primed with uh, entertainment uh, that puts uh, the false narrative in their mind. Talking about the Watchmen series that had a, a completely fictional version of this like a year ago. Uh, people are, people are uh, fooling themselves into thinking they're smart by uh, go, by following the the mainstream media narrative on this uh, crappy story hole, just full of unbelievable things. You'd have to be a complete naive fool to believe the things that they're saying about this event. And uh, again, it's by design and for a purpose. And it's not dissimilar to what the aliens were trying to do to the people of Maple Street, which uh, just goes to show Rod Serling was pretty much correct when he says at the very end, when he says that these are uh, regrettable things that, un- that unfortunately cannot be limited to just the Twilight Zone. <laughs>